the extra step that these companies have to have on their marketing teams is how do I educate this person to know that, Hey, you're going to buy this in two weeks anyway, and you're gonna buy this in four weeks and six weeks, just sign up for this. We'll give you 10% off and we'll send this to you every two weeks. You don't have to worry about it. So just kind of rewiring people to think that, Oh, I don't have to do this every time. Only if it does once that's, that's the extra step that that people usually forget about. Welcome to top of mind a show where we speak with top marketers, creators, and leaders who are shaping the culture around us. I'm Stuart Hillhouse, and I believe that through great marketing, you can earn the privilege of occupying a tiny sliver of your customer's already overflowing brain. Join me today as we learn what it takes to become top of mind. What's better than a customer buying from you? I'll give you a few seconds to think about it. How about a customer buying twice from you? There's nothing better than creating a long-term relationship with your customer that also leads to reoccurring revenue. Subscription business models have definitely been a hot topic as of recent, but they've been around forever. Think about gym memberships, clubs, or any type of paid education where you go back year after year. My guest today is going to tell us the insider secrets behind what the most successful subscription businesses are doing when it comes to their marketing. He's the marketing manager at Recharge Payments, a subscription payment platform that powers over 10,000 subscription businesses. Join me live today. I've got Chase Alderton. How are you doing today, Chase? Doing quite well. Thanks for having me, Stuart. I appreciate it. It's not always that I have this good a prompt to kind of get the conversation started, but I was literally on Instagram today and clicked on a product page and went to go explore and it was something that I was interested in. And on the pricing page and on the checkout page, there was Recharge logo, like ready to help me out to get a reoccurring subscription to this, this coffee company. So I don't know how you planted that in my feed, but it was really cool to see it in the wild. I love seeing it all the time. It's a great intro. <laughs> it just <laughs> drops on the point where everywhere subscriptions are everywhere and they're growing really fast. Yeah. So this was for like a coffee company and you'd think that it's kind of just like you sell one, you sell once, but that's such a hump to get over to sell this person once that why wouldn't you just make it easy for them to say, you know what, like this is a consumable, you'll be done this coffee bag three weeks from now. We're not rushing it, but when you want it, we're here for you. So tell me a little bit about how Recharge kind of works in terms of helping, helping these companies to set up subscriptions. Well, you hit the nail on the head. It's it's all about consumables mainly. There's a lot of different business models that can go into this, but for something like coffee, it's it's the simplest thing. You know, people drink coffee daily, so why would you not have your product ready to go and ready to ship and ready to to refill these orders that people are constantly looking for time after time, whether it's weekly, monthly, whatever it ends up being. So, yeah, you you totally hit the nail on the head there. As far as like how Recharge gets everybody set up and, and ready to go here, the platform's super simple. It's really easy to integrate and get up and running. Um, setting up a couple different products. Everything's customizable. So being able to choose, like I said, whether it's weekly, daily, monthly, quarterly, any kind of custom time frame that you want, all those things are customizable, setting your options. Um, but long story short, it's, a, it's about creating value for your customer. So any way you can do that for your customer, we enable you to do that. And that's where that relationship starts. Yeah, very cool. Help me to understand a little bit of the lay of the land of the subscription business model, because we talked about just now kind of consumables, food, things that 
come on a reoccurring basis, but there's a few other ones. Uh, what else? What are the other models that are pretty popular uh, on that reoccurring side of things? So the, the consumables is, is what traditionally works best. There's always a way to find a subscription business model, but consumables seem to work really well. A couple of the other ones we see, the most popular one is a box model. So some kind of like a curation uh, model. There's a couple awesome companies that do like foreign snacks. One of my favorites is called Boxu. It's a Japanese snack box company. So uh, the founder will actually, he travels to Japan consistently. He's of Japanese origin. He takes a couple of these candies and, and the snacks and crackers and all these things that he's had as a kid. And every quarter he puts together this awesome new box of things and ships you these like, Japanese snack boxes. So um, not one of those like, consistent morning things that you're going to do every time like coffee, but it's a really easy way to get a curated box of, of goods in front of people and continue to grow business. I, I could talk for, for hours on this topic, but one of my other favorites, I mean, we can go into to deeper description if we want to, but my other favorites, the, the membership model, creating not necessarily a product that you're subscribing to monthly, but you're subscribing to some sort of club or some sort of uh, of like in um, like subscription area where you can you know get discounts or you can get new releases. A lot of these different ways to to enable subscription products. That's just a couple of them. Yeah. So yeah, let's let's get a little deeper on a few of them. So I think consumables we've 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 consumed that one. We understand that. But in terms of the the boxes, what makes those so attractive to to a buyer to to show up again to to have another fee on their credit card if like coming next month and they know it. One of the biggest things is, is people want to get value and people want to be want to have their product curated for them. So assuming that the onboarding flow is is smooth and there's a lot of detail that goes into that is in, you know understanding who your customer is and being able to create these cool flows for people to to really get the data points on these customers having a curated model is super beneficial because the customer doesn't necessarily know what they're getting, but they know, you know, hey, I am, you know, this gender, these are my preferences, I'm within this age range, these are the kind of things I'm looking for. And the company will then provide you with all of those things that you're looking for in that box. A couple different ways where you can swap products in and out if you're unhappy with things. There's ways to create content around certain products. Box of style is one of my, my favorite examples here. So they do curated clothes for women. And they do fashion and they do bracelets and necklaces and, and all these kind of things. All of their content for the quarter that they put out is, you know, how to use this piece of, of equipment, whatever it is, you know, how to wear the scarf or how to wear this piece of, of jewelry, how to wear this bracelet or this necklace and, you know, pair that with this sort of top and this sort of pants and however that is. So you're not just getting a, a shirt or you're not just getting a necklace, you're getting a curated item that they know that you're going to like because of the preferences you've set up. You're getting examples of how to use this. You're getting where to complete the rest of the outfit for additional revenue for one-time products that you can sell. So if you just send the necklace, you can send, you know, hey, there's a bracelet that goes along with it. There's a shirt that goes along with it. There's all of these different kinds of ways to go along with it that, that a customer would never sit down and go straight into a store and say, hey, I want that necklace, that scarf, that, that bracelet. You give them a couple things and you show them how to use it in their own way. And then they kind of create the rest of the outfit themselves. I love that. I used to subscribe to, uh, when I went through my vinyl record phase, as most people did, it was a monthly or bi-monthly record, which often had like a story behind it. Like this is a limited press or this was really popular and we brought it back or this is a special edition. But then it would also include artwork, uh, personalized artwork for that record and a drink recipe so you could make this new cocktail that goes along while you listen and then there was a big like kind of booklet about the like, 
it was just kind of a story around how this drink pairs so nicely with these songs. And so it, was, it created a whole experience. Like I would never go out and get a, a piece of artwork made for an album that I really liked, nor would I even design a drink around it. But when it all comes together, it just elevated the value of it so that it made sense that it was whatever more, more expensive than a record on its own, but less expensive than me going to get all these things that I valued. Exactly. And it's not, it's not something that you would ever think about. Like you just said, it's, it's not just the value of the record and the image and the cocktail recipe. Cause that's all stuff you can go and buy individually. It's the idea of, I want to be surprised. I want this company to show me the value that they're going to provide. And then they deliver on that. That's what keeps people coming back month over month or quarter over quarter, whatever it is, bi-weekly. You also touched on content models or kind of based on a content subscription. And Netflix would kind of be the biggest example of that where you pay a reoccurring fee to get access to a massive library that they have. Does that Have you seen that work at a smaller scale? Yes, it's that's we we classify that as the membership model as well, where where it's it's a digital subscription. You're still applying for some sort of like membership. So Netflix's membership, as we define it, is you give them whatever the the monthly fee is, twelve fifteen bucks, and then you get access to all of the things that they have, and it's kind of just your pick and choose on what it is. So our favorite example that we talk about all the time is called Freshly Picked. They're a mother and daughter matching uh, clothing company. So you pay into their subscription model and they give you access to new releases. They give you access to free shipping and discounts and all that kind of stuff across the board. Another one that I don't necessarily take part in, but is a really cool idea is uh, Scott Barnes Academy. So he's a celebrity makeup artist. And one of the things that he does with his subscriptions is has nothing to do with the products. His membership model is you pay to be enrolled in this membership and you get access to all of their really, really advanced high level uh, makeup tutorials. So how do you do this type of makeup on this type of skin? Uh, and it's all celebrity makeup artists. It's all showing them exactly how to do it. I was poking around the site the other day and there's one with Jennifer Lopez on there of like how to get her her eye shadow. And I'm butchering all these names because I don't know anything about it. But that's a, it's a great way to, to get people part of your membership and, and subscribing. It's a non-traditional business model, but it's still subscriptions. It's still access to this membership. It's an awesome way to get people involved. And it sounds too like you can design it in a way that it's actually on top of the core product being makeup in that example that you, you buy the makeup. But if you're, if you're a power user, you're willing to spend the extra to use that makeup to the fullest of its advantages. Exactly. So in, in, in a case, this makes it easy and hard for marketers because you've got the product is almost creating the content for you. Like you said, it's cure, it, as, as long as it's ongoing, there's no shortage of content you can create because there's always a new offering that you're bringing up or you have to reintroduce new curated boxes or new content to, so that people see the value in continuing to, to apply. But at the same time, it just writes it for itself. So you can just kind of have an unlimited creative inflow of new stuff that you can talk about on all your social channels and then email copy and all that stuff. You're spot on. The, the challenge, though, is that people's attention spans are, are short and they always want the next coolest, biggest, brightest, shiniest thing. So if you start to be a little lax on your communication, if you start to be a little lax on your delivery, if your products start to slip a little bit, all of those things open the door for cancellations and churn, which is obviously the enemy of all subscription products. So a lot of times subscription kind of does write itself where you know there's a very clear pathway of my product is this, this is the end goal. There's three or four steps in between. But it, it does take attention to every single touch point that you have to make sure that the, the subscriber, the customer is getting that experience that they really, really want. Um, otherwise, you open the door for churn. How do you 
if you were the marketer of a of a small subscription company, let, let, I like the the box example because that one requires sure. a lot of curation and and research and deep knowledge of who your end user is. How would you go about making sure that you're satisfying their needs month after month? How would you recommend them kind of gather that data or have conversations with their customers to make sure that that person is going to renew and isn't going to churn? Couple different ways, and I'll try to be brief. We can dig in if we need to. First and foremost, I, I would start with a product. You got to make sure you have a good product, and that goes for subscription products and non-subscription. You, if your product isn't good, it's not going to work. So make sure your product is quality. Make sure it's something that people would actually value. Second, don't guess. Try to understand people's personas as much as you can. One of the greatest things that we're seeing pop up all the time now is uh, onboarding quizzes. So before anybody even buys your product, send them through a quiz, send them through a checkout flow of, you know, are, are you from, from every different thing, doesn't matter what it is, whether it's jewelry or whether it's makeup or whether it's, you know, clothes, are, are you, you know, what's your waist size is a great one for pants. You know, it's not going to work if someone says me, it sends me a pair of jeans that are size 40. I'm not a size 40. So you have to understand what those things are. Uh, that's kind of a stupid example, but you ask a handful of questions that kind of get people in the mind of saying, you know, here are my preferences. This is what I want. And then you can kind of curate your section of products to exactly what they want, offering ways to swap those items if they're not happy with them, offering ways, like I mentioned, with, with Box of Style, showing you how to maybe take advantage of certain products that are in this box. All of those things are, are ways you can continue to connect with your customer. And you should save all of those things at some point to really go back and understand, okay, now we're sending box two. Now for sending box three, we're not going to send the same things we had in the first box. We're not going to go completely off the deep end to, go, to test some random things because we know they like this some, certain set of things. I say you've been in the game a couple of years and you want to keep things fresh. How would you test offer, new offerings or products in that keeping with the same example with some type of box? I think tiers is an interesting way to do it. If you have people at a, at a gold tier or tier one or whatever you want to call it, people who have been subscribers for a long time, those are really your advocators. Those are people who will who will scream your name from the mountaintops, or I guess in today's day and age, you'll scream your name on Instagram and Facebook, which is more valuable. But test it with those people. Tell them, you know, hey, we're going to put in three or four extra products in this box. We're essentially going to send you a free box worth of stuff. So let us know what you think about it. You know, film yourself doing an unboxing video. Some of the coolest videos we see uh, which people forget is a great touch point is is the box opening. You know, people will not get emails. They will not open letters. They will ignore you know notifications, Facebook messages, whatever it is. But when they get a box, hundred percent of the time they're opening it. So film that. You know, what's your earliest reaction to it? Don't make it fake. Make it really authentic. Uh, um, leaving reviews is a big deal as long as they're authentic and as long as they're honest. Ways that you can kind of push your your favorited customers or your best customers, so you know they're not going to leave you but just kind of like test out the waters with them and then trickle that down to your tier two, your tier three, whatever it ends up being. And, and that's the beauty too, is you have content creating itself. So yes, that's a really good testing method. And there's a, there's motive there for the company to get that data, but there's also content that comes from it. And if the person is a genuine customer and is comfortable with sharing the, their video, that can be an asset that gets passed to the creative team and the ads team and, and who else, whoever else is trying to use that, that newfound excitement to push new subscribers. Yeah. And that's the whole idea of user generated content. You know, if you can get your users to actually create your content for you, it, it's the problem solves itself. You don't have to worry about actually marketing and saying, Hey, here's why my product is great. You should try it. You have other people saying, Hey, that product is great and I trust it. So you should trust it too. 
And generally those peer reviews work a lot better than, than a company telling you, Hey, we're great. Cause what company mm. isn't going to say, yeah, we're awesome. Try our box. I know there's, there's going to be a pretty broad question, but what would a typical marketing team look like at some of the, actually, maybe first you can help me frame what size some of these subscription companies are. Really, really all different sizes. Okay. Um, it depends on the product first and foremost. Um, it's really hard to scale a product that doesn't serve like a market need for, for things like, like superficial things where you're getting, you know, different types of coffee or, you know, any kind of that thing that potentially it's, it's harder to grow that kind of company because it's not a needed product for something like a, like a, even something as simple as soap. We have a lot of companies that do like bathroom things, refilling toothpaste, refilling toothbrushes, soap, cleaning supplies, all those kind of things. That's stuff that people need every single day, no matter who you are. So it's it's a lot easier to scale those kinds of companies. We have we have people from from the the very very small kind of mom and pop stores that are just starting up on Recharge up to we have multiple companies that are above six figures, over a hundred thousand subscribers. I think we actually just hit our first one that's over a million subscribers. So wow. definitely tons of subscribers. Like you said at the top, it's not a new market; it's just kind of growing, and people don't quite understand it. So it's it's not surprising to us who kind of look at subscription every day to see that a million people are subscribed to one product. But at the same time, you know, that kind of opens the door for a lot of other companies to show like, hey, if this company or if this product is needed and if it's valuable, there's no reason that you can't grow that high. I guess it doesn't matter how big the company is. They're still marketing tasks that need to get accomplished. What would that look like for a company in the subscription world? Not too much different from from a lot of other companies that kind of market their products. I mean, most people don't market sub- specifically that the fact that they have a subscription um, you're still going through the whole Instagram ads, Facebook ads, Google ads process. Um, you're still setting your personas. You're still trying to figure out who's the best match for your product. But ultimately, the extra step that goes into there is education. So people are conditioned to say, you know, they go on Google and they look for, hey, I need coffee. And you Google coffee, uh, to use your example at the top, and you find the coffee brand you want, or Instagram targets you that you see, oh, this this may work long term. You know, this isn't something that I just have to buy once. So the extra step that these companies have to have on their marketing teams is how do I educate this person to know that, hey, you're going to buy this in two weeks anyway, and you're going to buy this in four weeks and six weeks. Just sign up for this. We'll give you 10% off and we'll send this to you every two weeks. You don't have to worry about it. So just kind of rewiring people to think that, oh, I don't have to do this every time. I only have to do this once. That's that's the extra step that that people usually forget about. Hmm. And what are the biggest questions that the customers have that marketers need to overcome in that education? Committing really is the fear, which shouldn't be surprising because people naturally have that fear of commitment. But it's it's the same type of education that the company is trying to do for the for the subscriber, saying you know, hey, this is why it's beneficial. That person is still a little bit worried about saying, you know, I don't necessarily want to subscribe to this because I can just come back on here and remember it. So sometimes it takes two or three times for the person to buy it to then realize, okay, why don't I just do a, a subscription here? It makes more sense. But but trying to kind of overcome that psychology. And, and say like, you know, can I cancel at any time? Can I swap my products? Can I add certain other things if that's where I want to go? Being able to empower the customer and let them know that, you know, you're not locked into this. You can change whenever you want. You can skip, swap, adjust products however you want. That's really powerful. So it's kind of the two-way street of education and also being open to understanding what the subscription entails. Yeah, I think that for me personally is a huge barrier to overcome where I'm, I, I'm okay with that first payment, but... To me, I'm hesitant to say, I have yet to try the product and you want me to already buy a second one, kind of like the cancellation things don't line up. It's, it is a huge barrier to overcome. And 
but it sounds like the flexibility that your platform can offer allows for that customization of certain, depending on what the product is, to have the, cons- the end consumer adjust so that they're not feeling overwhelmed or getting too many payments, but they can actually pause them and re-bring bring them back because we don't want to lose these customers. That's the thing is to happily let them pause knowing that they're at least had a good experience and you can bring them back and re-engage them at some point rather than, oh, I didn't want that. Why'd you send that to me? Why'd you bill my credit card? Then you have all of a sudden a customer service ticket and there's way more to do than if you could have just said, you know what, that's fine. Like we'll, we'll, we'll see you in a couple months. Yeah, you're exactly right. And we we actually define churn and cancellations not as anybody who's skipping or swapping or can't, or pausing. So if you're pausing, you still have an active subscription. You just kind of paused your subscription. So those are all good actions. Those are all positive actions we want people to take. And this is all managed from the subscriber level. So you log into your own portal. You can see your subscriptions. Um, each company can kind of customize that portal and understand what kind of uh, changes they want to make and do colors and all that kind of stuff. But empowering a subscriber, and this is the education part of it, empowering a subscriber to really control their subscription and say, you know, I have too much deodorant now, I'm going to pause or I'm going to skip this month. You know, I, I just, you know, whatever it was, I've been working from home, I haven't worn deodorant, whatever it is, like, <laughs> I'm just going to skip this month. That's still positive. Or, you know, I'm going to go on vacation next week and my delivery is supposed to be the day that I leave, you know, push your, or push your delivery out a week. So you're kind of just changing the date on that. So they're all positive actions. They're all ways that you can continue to grow that relationship with the subscriber. But again, just the understanding and the, the education behind those things is, is paramount. How would you go about reactivating someone who's paused? So you haven't lost them, but what, what sequence of education or content is, have you found to, to not make them feel pressured, but still to remind them that you're there and they can they can bring you back whenever you want. A lot of the new research we've done shows that doing this proactively works best. Once people have paused, if they can find it, it, to be clear, it's, it's all done on the subscriber level. So, so this isn't the company sitting back and saying, okay, I have to do this. I have to do that. But being proactive is, is the best way to do it. Now we're seeing a lot of companies in upcoming email notifications. So let's say your coffee is going to be delivered in a week. Um, they'll send you an email and say, hey, you're like, fair warning, your credit card is about to be charged. We're going to let you know this charge is coming, period. That being said, if you want to stop, if you want to sw- swap, if you want a different type of coffee, if you want to do two bags of coffee, if you want to you know, put this off for a week, all those options exist here. And you can you know, give them their link. They can go right into the portal. Um, there's actually a couple places where you can do that straight from the email now, which is really cool. It's mm-hmm. new tech we're excited about. But but. Part of that education is being pro- proactive and optimistic about it. You will see a couple cancellations. If you send an email and say, hey, we're going to charge your credit card, people will cancel. But the amount of people you're going to retain on the back end is going to be way higher and way more beneficial um, than those people who are going to leave anyway. And that's exciting to hear that a lot of the payment and checkout technology is catching up to the possibility that subscriptions open up, that you can yeah. kind of allow people to do whatever they need to do. And they're still reoccurring. Absolutely. And I think one one of the other interesting points to make that for people who are new to subscription, we get this question all the time, which is like, why do people come in and do subscriptions where they can just kind of like buy one off over and over again? And it always comes back to the convenience factor. So if you're trying to convince people to do this just because it makes you more money or because you're hoping that they're going to forget about their payment and just get a couple extra payments, those are businesses that are guaranteed to fail. 
you know, we, we do this subscription business model for convenience. We do this to make sure that people are getting their products on time and in an effortless way. And it's all manageable. That's a big key is people try to kind of play the system a bit and those, and they always end up failing. That's good to hear that you don't want that. It, it doesn't matter if you're in the subscription business or other one. If you're, if you're have bad intentions, it's not going to work. If you're cutting corners, it's not a good, not a good look. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about onboarding. That's a, that's a, that's an area that I think you need to set a lot of expectations and prep them for knowing what you're all about. What, what, have, what have you noticed in the marketing that some of your most successful users see on their onboarding? Frankly, for me, it's the most important piece of the whole thing. Acquisition is difficult, especially cost of acquisitions are going up today. Everybody's using Google, Facebook, Instagram, all that. If you find a channel that's cheap, it's not going to be cheap for another month. So that's always difficult to do. But once you convert a customer, keeping them in my mind, and I've studied, I have a degree in psychology, so I've studied that frequently, but that's the easy part for me. Uh, but a lot of people have struggled with that. So, so a lot of the marketing that we see is not, it's, it shouldn't be about the hard sale. It shouldn't be about, you know, here's why we're saving you $2 a month. It's saving time. It's saving effort. It's being convenient. It's, you know, hey, you're going to order this anyway. You might as well just kind of keep this thing coming. Even when we get back to like this box model and you're, cur- you're curating, it's, you know, uh, we're, we're talking during COVID right now where everyone shut down. It's, you know, we need some fun. We need things to happen. I, I'm looking forward to that box, that shipment every month or whatever it is. Just making sure your customers understand that we're doing this for you. You know, we're doing this to make it your life easier and better and all of the adjectives. So if you don't understand that, we're not going to force you into this, but that's the goal behind this thing. And I think that some of it is just time. You know, people will just kind of adjust to this over time and understand what's going on. But but I think the education is is the biggest thing out there. Mm. So convenience is should be included in your list of benefits, not only just the products you're giving them, but the subscription is becoming a benefit of this product. It's kind of, a, it's, it's not like the product stands alone and the payment processing is another thing you have to deal with. It's actually the same thing now. Exactly. Yeah. It's an, it's an all in one. It's a totally combined user experience. That's the whole goal. It's make life easier for the end consumer. And if you don't have to get in your car and go to the grocery store and put a mask on and fight the checkout lines and all this kind of stuff to get your tube of toothpaste that you want, subscribe. We'll send it to you on your own frequency whenever you want. If you want to skip it, if you want to pause it, if you want to stop it, we're all good. We're just trying to be helpful. Mm. What are some categories that unexpectedly surged uh, during COVID? If you if you have any insight to how you know, some of your clients are working. Food was an easy one. Uh, a lot of people started doing online food and, and food delivery services, meal kits, all those kind of things. Supplements were really big. We actually crossed Beverage is actually our biggest category for for subscriptions. So whether it's carbonated water or you know any of that kind of stuff, that's a huge huge category. But middle of April, I believe, alcohol passed non-alcohol in the beverage category for the first time in recharge history, and that was kind of interesting to see what people were doing <laughs> during shutdown. But that was that was my uh, unique pick of the day for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm in Canada, and I don't think we I don't think we're allowed to do direct to consumer liquor quite yet. But I know that th- those laws are changing in the states. But I mean, our, you can buy cannabis on the government website and that's direct to consumer now. So that's, that's opened up a whole new can of worms as well. There's a whole lot of interesting things that go around government regulations and what you can ship and what you can't ship and statewide and countrywide and all that. So definitely worth paying attention to. It's a great point to bring up as you start a subscription business is making sure you're aware of where you can ship and and what kind of things you have pending your product. But um, yeah, it's a great point. With shipping, things are uncertain right now. So if shipping 
goes to hell and all of a sudden you've got all this backlog and you can't deliver it on the promised dates. How would you recommend the marketing team handle that kind of communication to set expectations when we've got so many uncertainties kind of playing into the business model? It's a tough question because it's never something you expect. You know, anybody who tells you they expected a, a worldwide pandemic is just lying to you. But I, I'm just always a fan of being open and upfront about things. People generally respect honesty. And you'll, I mean, in, in the bell curve of how people people's uh, behavior is, there will always be people who will be pissed at you no matter what if you're you know 20 seconds late on your delivery time. And then there's always people who, if you you know delayed your ships your shipment a year, they'd be they'd be okay with it just because that's how people work. The large majority of people in the middle though are are generally okay with you know getting an email saying hey you know shipping is is messed up because of X Y Z whatever the reason is whether it's COVID or, or a different reason you know we're gonna ship you a different extra product next month or in your next box we're gonna do this or we'll take ten percent off or um, you know, if you hit a certain point in your subscription career, if you're subscribed for six boxes, we'll toss in a different product or whatever it is. There's a lot of ways to play around with these kind of things. Surprise and delight is a big uh, phrase that we throw around often. So ways to do it. But I think most people will understand just kind of given the, the general climate of what's going on. Mm. Tell me a little bit more about surprise and delight, because I think that gets thrown around. But I want to I'd love to hear some kind of concrete examples of of how you can do that. A lot of different ways. And, and again, it really de- uh, it depends on the product. One of the companies I subscribe to personally is called T. Shanley. They're a men's uh, skincare company. I am not a skincare person. My girlfriend was mad at me for the longest time that I didn't take care of my skin. So figured no better uh, company than than to support a recharge company. So I have a, a wash, a scrub, an AM and a PM lotion that I do morning and night. And on the third subscription I got from them was a bottle of, of hand sanitizer. So they had actually like kind of paused some of their manufacturing, swapped over to sanitizers and tossed something, tossed one of those in the box. That was really, really cool that I didn't know that was coming. Another one they did, they put in like a lip balm, like an SPF lip balm that was really cool. And then kind of going a little bit backwards, the first box that I got from them had a handwritten card that said, Hey Chase, we're really excited you're subscribed. You know, thanks for joining. Here's how you use the subscription. Um, It was signed by one of the co-founders. So I don't know how, I mean, it seems like they do that all the time. I think that's an awesome touch point inside the box that people overlook, but depends on your product, different ways you can kind of surprise and delight people. But, you know, I do the, the face wash just to kind of just keep my hygiene daily and just kind of be able to do something like that. But throwing in something like a hand sanitizer shows that, you know, this company is not just about making money and they're just not trying to send me the same product over and over again. It's about engagement. It's about making sure that companies can grow and scale together and they have a good footprint in the economy and all of these kind of things. So again, I've repeated a couple of times now. Depends on what your product is, but a whole bunch of different ways you can surprise and delight. Absolutely. Well, just even just thinking it through and talking about it, if you commit to that skincare routine, like that becomes a habit and you're not going to break it, especially if you're seeing good results. And if the company is just continually, continuously showing up, that becomes now a budget item in your personal finances. The same way when we do enterprise anything, the, the whole, the, the kind of Salesforce and the CRM model is like they turned CRMs into a line item that was mandatory for big companies or any company now to have. And they squeaked their way in there. So now it's not like at the every year, at the end of every year, they say, well, are we going to are we going to renew our Salesforce subscription? It's like it's built in that we have to budget for that Salesforce. So it sounds like through, through using a subscription model, you 
are trying to do as much as you can to become a habit within that person's life so that they actually will feel lost if they don't renew. You're spot on. And it's actually really funny. I was just kind of coming through my finances a couple of days ago and, and did literally build in uh, my face wash, my cheese handling routine into that saying, you know, this, this has to stay. I can't get rid of that because uh, it's a custom. It's part of me now. I do that every morning. Um, so that's really interesting. But even taking that a step further, it's about creating the experience. So it's, it's well-documented. It's not a secret. Amazon's going to beat anybody if you're just playing a price game. You know, if you're just trying to buy a bottle of face wash, it's actually a great example. If you're just trying to buy a bottle of face wash, I guarantee you I could get a better, not better. I guarantee you I could get a, a competitive price, potentially a lower price uh, on Amazon. Just go buy a random generic one. But what I'm going to miss out on is this experience of being connected to the team. I know they support skin cancer for men. They make donations for every order they, that comes in. So I know there's a positive benefit that's coming out of that. It is part of my routine right now. I love the smell. I love all of the things that go along with it. I get the extra added benefits of this hand sanitizer, the lip balm. I just got an email a couple of days ago saying there's another product coming. So I don't know what that is, but I'll have a new one coming in the next box. These are things you can't get from Amazon. So it's differentiating Am I just selling this to try to get volume done or am I cr- trying to create this experience? And at a certain point you play those numbers and you know, if I'm going to buy five face washes from Amazon, they make, they make some money. But if I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy seven from T Shanley because I'm going to be sticking around for the, for the encouragement, for the content that comes with it, for all of these uh, kind of additional benefits, which is something you, you can't get from just a regular purchase. Yeah. I think this conversation is turning towards the psychology side of it because there's so many <laughs> triggers that you just mentioned there that are possible when you've got kind of a, an embedded opportunity like subscriptions. You've got the incentive structure that we didn't even cover, but we kind of we mentioned coupons, discounts, extras, tiers. You've got the anticipation that comes where they email you and say, get ready, it's coming. And you tons of branding opportunities and engagement there. And then you've got the follow-up and the, those touch points. Are, are there any, kind of thinking back into your, your academic past, are there any resources you'd recommend that marketers could take a look at where they could get a better understanding of customer buyer psychology and, and how that could apply to their, to their uh, subscription marketing? One of the things that always just fascinated me about psychology is motivation. So why do people do what they do? I, I always just come back kind of like what I referenced earlier. If, if you're just looking for the lowest price of something, it's, it's not going to be an experience-based product that you're looking for. You might as well just go to Amazon and, and make your purchase. If you're looking for this experience that's going to actually bolster your life and do something better for you, that's where this type of product is valuable and, and creating experience makes a lot of sense. So no, no additional resources there, but I, I just always like to think what's, what's something that's going to bring value to your life? And not just in a dollar's mindset. What's what's something that's going to impact your life longer than just you know the ten dollars I'm going to spend on this? Absolutely. Kind of coming to the conclusion here. Uh, I kind of want to. We painted a really good. You painted a great picture of what where the the industry is currently. There's tons of uncertainty going on right now. But what would you say is kind of the the direction do you see these subscription business models going? Are you thinking that, actually, I won't prompt you at all, but if, if there are kind of a few areas that you're excited to see how it plays out in the next, I'm just going to even say 18 months, like just short term, what, what, do you, what are you excited about? 
I think in general e-commerce, we're going to see everything start to go online, which I know is not necessarily a subscription focused tidbit there. But I think all COVID did is speed up our society where it was already going two to five years ish, maybe even closer to 10 years. I think people who were older who've never been on computers are learning how to use them just out of necessity. I think people who were younger seeing people walk into stores and think that they're idiots. I think that's just sped up that process. You can get anything online nowadays. So I think that's speeding up a lot. But I keep coming back to this experience idea. I think that for subscription-focused companies, for subscription-first companies, it's about the experience. I I still i am a bit old-fashioned, so I like walking around stores. I enjoy walking around the grocery store, which I think makes me a little weird. But seeing different products, that's something that you'll never be able to recreate online. So if you can recreate some sort of feeling inclusive, you know, some sort of memberships, some sort of, you know, we're here for you outside of just the, the product we're going to provide to you. I think content is a huge piece of that, being able to provide things that are related to your product, but not doesn't actually, you know, push you back to, hey, you need to buy more of this product. Um, I think that's going to be the future. And I understand that that's really nebulous and that's not really a, a, a literal pick as to what the future is going to hold, but I don't want to pigeonhole myself. And I just, just think it's going to be more more experiential, more uh, customizable, all, all of those kind of adjectives, all, all of those things that make people want to do more of that online. Yeah. I've seen a lot of, a lot of talk about social commerce and that's kind of the new, the new word that's being applied to it. It's you're, because we're going to lack that discoverability of walking through a mall, walking down main street that has been just transferred over to Instagram and whatever the, if, if, if TikTok's allowed to stick around, that's the new discoverability is who, who are your, who are your, the people you follow? What are they wearing? What are they putting on their skin? What are they eating? And that, be, but now we're going to start having the ability to just purchase right then and there. And that's become social commerce. So I'm really glad you touched on that because that's something that's been on my mind for sure as well. I will make one again, somewhat nebulous prediction, but I think the first person who can create some sort of virtual mall some sort of virtual, uh, you know, walk down Main Street, like you said. How do we get all of these products in a singular place so someone can virtually walk down here and go, you know, what are products that, you know, how do I find shoes wherever it is? And how do I subscribe to these? How do I find toothpaste? How do I find uh, meal replacements? How do I find all of these things? Somewhere we can combine all of these things and be able to look for those. Um, I think that'll be something that'll drive success in the future. But again, I don't know how to do that. So I'm just excited. What would be the best example of that, of, of that right now? Is like an Amazon marketplace kind of? Because it has everything. It's just not, it doesn't have that natural discoverability that walking down an aisle would. Right. I think Instagram is actually a great place. I don't, I'm not a huge social media guy, but I think Instagram is a really cool place to discover new products. And I think it's done in a way that's not perfect right now because they can, they can target you and they can figure out what things you like. But I think getting to be able to make purchases straight from Instagram rather than having to get off of that and go to their product page. The more we can integrate into that, I think makes a lot of sense because Instagram is, it's your newsfeed. It's things that you like, it's things that are customized to you. So if you can slip products in there here and there that, that fit that persona, uh, that's a great way to kind of start there without being too overwhelming. Great. Thank you so much for sharing with us, Chase. That, that was an awesome coverage of subscription and where, where it's going. So I really appreciate you taking the time. You can find out more about Chase through LinkedIn. Give him, a, give him an ad and tell him that this is where you heard him. And you can also check out Recharge at rechargepayment.com. Thanks so much, Chase. Appreciate it, Stuart. Thanks for having me. 
If you enjoyed anything that you just heard, you're going to absolutely love what I'm about to tell you. If you go online to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button, you'll be added to an email list where I share exclusive content related to this show. This is where I'm going to share my key takeaways from each episode, including my highlights, top of mind takeaways, and next steps that you can do to put this advice to action. I also share some real life breakdowns of marketing campaigns that I'm seeing around and how I'm using it in my work. So head on over to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button to get your first email. Looking forward to seeing you there.